Acts chapter 13, listen to the word of the Lord. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Menaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. And then follows several chapters of describing their missionary journey. This is the word of the Lord. Then follows several chapters of describing their first missionary journey of Paul. How they start in Jewish synagogues, but then they face rejection and eventually they turn and say, you know what? We're going to take this gospel to Gentiles and they will listen. And at the end of this big missionary journey, they return to the church at Antioch. See if I can find it. Finally, this is the end of chapter 14. Finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria where their journey had begun and the believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work that they had now completed. Upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together and reported everything God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. And they stayed there with the believers a long time. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, this is the beginning of chapter 15, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you're circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you can't be saved. And Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, they had a whole council that convened in Jerusalem. And the reason this comes up is because something was going on at Antioch that scared the rest of the church, confused the rest of the church. If you go back, why are you guys messaging on Facebook during my sermon? If you go back, I'm involved in a group conversation apparently. If you go back to Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost, the spirit is poured out. It says there were in, at that time, there were in Jerusalem Jews from every nation. And that when the spirit is poured out on the 120 in the upper room and the spirit propels them out of the place of prayer into the streets, because that's what what always happens when the spirit falls on people. He always propels us outward into mission, every time. It's the pattern. We gather for worship. His spirit falls and we scatter for mission. That's the design. That's the pattern. But what it says is there were Jews... Living in, that were staying in Jerusalem for this festival from the whole known world. So who gets saved? Who are the original followers of Jesus? They're Jews. And so who gets saved on the day of Pentecost? Jews. But something unusual starts happening from Antioch. Antioch is a, is a church that's planted sort of almost on accident. Even though Jesus said, 
stay in Jerusalem and pray for the Holy Spirit to come. And then when the Spirit comes, you will receive power from on high to be my witnesses. And then you will, you will bear witness of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Even though the Spirit came, they stayed in Jerusalem. You remember this, right? This is not new. Until this racial conflict breaks out in Jerusalem between two kinds of Jews. Grecian Jews and Hebraic Jews, but they're all still Jews. So they're distributing food to the widows and there becomes this racial dispute. You're neglecting us because we're not like you. It becomes such a conflict, so the leaders in Jerusalem, they convene and they say, look, the Lord has, the Lord has an assignment for us elders and it's to preach and teach and pray. This is how we serve you that we would actually be neglecting our primary ministry if we were to be the ones trying to settle these disputes and distribute the food. We serve you in this way, but we need somebody to help serve you in these other ways. So they find some people, they said, pick for yourselves men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom who can, who can deal with this. And one of those is Stephen. Stephen gets up and preaches a sermon and gets himself killed. And on that day that he gets himself killed, a great, this is Acts chapter eight. I think it's eight, verse one. On that day, a great persecution breaks out against the followers of Jesus, who were again all what? They're all Jews. They're fulfilled Jews. They're Messianic Jews is what we would call them. But, they, but you know they were, they, they were still Jews. Remember the man who was healed at the, at the gate of the temple? because Peter and John went up to pray at the Jewish hours of prayer. They're Jewish. They're still Jewish. They're still doing the old Jewish things. I'm going somewhere with this, so just bear with me. Acts 1.8, you will receive power and be my witnesses, and you'll go to the ends of the earth. The Spirit comes, but they don't go to the ends of the earth. Acts 8.1, a great persecution breaks out, and these saints were driven to the ends of the earth against their will. And everywhere they went, they preached. And one of the places that some of them landed is the city of Antioch. And in Antioch, things started to be done differently. Antioch is the first place where believers were called what? Christians. Christ means anointed one. Antioch is the first place that believers were called anointed ones. And it's not persecution that drives these guys into mission. It's something totally different. They're worshiping the Lord and they're praying and fasting. This is a charismatic church. Yes. And it's in this time of seeking his face and, and, and hearing from God and ministering to the Lord that he says, do the mission. And they go out and for the first time, they invite Gentiles to be followers of Jesus without inviting them to be Jewish. This is the first time, I'm gonna say it again because I don't think you seem shocked by that. The book of Romans was written to try to figure out how to do this thing. 
The book of Romans was not written to try to explain how sinners can be made right in the eyes of a holy God. That's what Luther thought from his context. The book of Romans was written to try to convince Jews not to be proud and Gentiles not to be less than and how to get along and be connected to each other because of Jesus. The book of Romans was written to help settle a dispute about who we are and how we draw identity and salvation. It's meant to humble Jews and exalt Gentiles and humble them too and level everyone beneath the cross with all their pride and all their hope being, being off of themselves. Because salvation not being by works, you know what Paul's saying? Salvation is not by Jewishness. All you do is connect to Jesus and the spirit comes on you and you become an anointed one. And so what's different about Antioch is that at Antioch, the true nature of the gospel's radical character starts to be revealed. It doesn't take persecution to finally drive them into mission. All it takes is prayer and a prophetic word. And so Paul comes back after his first missionary journey and these people show up from Jerusalem and they start to say, wait, hold on. Why aren't you telling them all the stuff they're supposed to do? Why aren't you doing all the stuff that the Bible tells us to do? We've always led people to Jesus, but then they become Jews too. What are you doing? What gives you the right? So they have a big conference in Jerusalem and they, and they actually finally agree on this thing. And it's radical. It's crazy to them. What we're saying is you don't have to be Jewish to be saved. You just need Jesus. Amen. It's wild. It's radical. It's foreign. I would title this sermon, Called to Be an Antioch, if I were titling sermons. Gateway is called to be an Antioch. We're called to be a mission outpost church. We're called to be, see, the church in Jerusalem actually was relatively sizable and stable and had this deep history. The church at Antioch is relatively, relatively young and relatively small by comparison, but small by comparison, it made a monumental impact. And you understand, of course, that the 13 letters of Paul are basically the, like the ancient equivalent of what would be emails sent to Christians that you led to Jesus and then gathered into the little, little groups. The 13 letters of Paul were written as a part of the impact of this little church that prayed and sent. This little church that was willing to shed their Jewishness for the sake of getting people in contact with the love of Jesus. This little church that stayed connected with Jerusalem but wasn't limited by that cultural context. See, I have this vision of the church. Much of us in the church of Jesus seems so huddled up in our Christian stuff, so protected, so fixated on being separate from the world behaviorally that we end up separate from the world socially. And we end up almost like, you remember that game Red Rover when we were little kids? You, you, you that are real young, you don't because schools won't let you do that anymore. <laughs> Red Rover is you, you grasp hands really hard with the people next to you and then we'd be like, Red Rover, Red Rover, let Tim Freed come over. And then Tim Freed would come barreling down the hatch and I would wince and pray to Jesus for the rapture. And then he would try to bust through my arm as much as, I, as, much as he could. And yeah, repelled. Ha ha, we win. 
But if he could break through, then, then yay for him, right? And I think so much of the church is instead of facing the world, it's facing each other in a circle with our hands linked so tightly. And like honestly, to get into a lot of churches is hard. Like you gotta stay for five years and like prove yourself and ask 19 times to be involved and it's like really hard to break in. Like you've been attending for three years but people still don't know your name and you've asked to serve on four committees but you're just not sure and no one takes you out for dinner and you're just like, man, I feel rejected. It should not be that way, of course, right? It should not be that way, of course, right? Like, but there's a day, and we're not doing that on purpose, but it's kind of one of those byproducts of this, such a focus on fellowship and community and being friends and my, my experience of what church is like. We want church to be awesome. We want church to be a family. And I want all these things. But this thing can turn into like Red Rover, Red Rover, and like this becomes. But the vision of Antioch is it doesn't take persecution to get them to do the mission. All it takes is a word from heaven. Because their, their, their posture is not one of turning away from the world toward each other and, and hanging on till Jesus comes back, but it's one of facing outward, holding to the hand, but reaching the other one out and taking a step forward to rescue people out of the cold, icy waters of the Titanic that's crashed called the world. It's, it's, it's Antioch is a prophetic group, it's a charismatic group, it's a multicultural group, but more than anything, it's a missionary-hearted group. We are called to be an Antioch. We are called to be a charismatic, multicultural, sending church that is linked to our history, linked to Greenwood Mennonite churches, our Jerusalem. They planted us. So we want a hand firmly grasped to their hand. But we don't want our life revolving around our history. We want a hand connected. It'd be absolutely ridiculous to disconnect from that strength and from that health. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. John David and I had like, who's the lead pastor, I guess you could say. He's on the pastoral team. Is he the lead pastor? He's the lead pastor in my heart, so anyway, I guess he is. We had like a two and a half hour lunch this last week and we dreamed together about a missions conference that, we would, that, we, that we're gonna try to put on. A missions conference that we're calling Mobilize where we invite resources, speakers from RMM who come and we're going to have we, we, our plan. This is I'm a little early for sharing some of these things, but I'm excited. So this is what I do when I'm excited. I share things. The plan is, and we've made contact and RMM seems pretty happy about the idea. The plan is to host this conference at Greenwood Mennonite School because what we've noticed over the years is when Greenwood hosts a conference, it becomes a Greenwood conference. And when we host a conference, Gateway becomes a Gateway conference. So we're trying to pick the school as a central location, as a connecting hub for all the churches in the area. And we want RMM to come in and train and equip us to reach out. I mean, that's what they do as missions to the ends of the earth, right? But guess what? That's what we're called to do here. So who better to train us? I know it just seems so evident to me that most of us feel, number one, inadequate to reach out and disciple people. Like, do I know God well enough? Do I know my Bible well enough? Also intimidated, what would this cost me to reach out and make disciples? Will they need to, what, like, are they gonna ask me for money all the time and, and rides in the car all the time? Are they gonna wanna live in my house? 
Like, like what, what, what goes on here? Like, am I qualified? Is this gonna cost so much? And then what is the roadmap? Like, what does it mean to disciple someone? What does it look like to disciple someone? What am I supposed to be teaching them? What if I'm not even doing the basic things of the life in Christ that I'm supposed to? What if I let them into my life and they're like, that's not impressive. Like, do, you, do I have something worth giving away? That all stuff goes in our brain. But you know what? If you know Jesus even a little, you're already qualified to give away what you have. Amen. And this life in Christ is not for preachers to, to teach people about. Ephesians 4 says it's the normal, everyday saints that do the real work of ministry. So the goal of this little mobilized conference is to stay connected to each other. I'm very sneaky. I'm trying to get more really authentically connected to that. But for the sake of why we're even Christians in the first place, which is the worship of Jesus and mission. That's it. That's what we're all about. That's, that's That's the two movements is worship and mission. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Simple. It's all about worship. Worship is why we're on the planet, to enjoy the goodness, the, great, the grandeur, and the beauty of God. Amen. That's what we're saved into. <sighs> You're amazing. You're incredible. Oh, my word, you should try this. Worship and mission. Simple. Now, here's the interesting thing. Some of us, I've noticed that there's, there's confusion. Like what, like, what is Gateway? What is our vision? Well, this is our vision. We're in Antioch. We're a charismatic, missionary-minded, sending church. This is who we are. We have a hand in the history. We have a hand back to the Jerusalem church, but our main heart is to be reaching out to those around us and the ends of the earth. Now, here's a weird thing. If you look over at Galatians 2, Paul goes back up to Jerusalem to see if what he's been doing is valid. You remember this story? I'll just read it. Hey, Gabe, can you toss me that water? Also, Gabe, what do you think about that? Thank you. I drank most of it. I need to hand him a microphone for him to do his Donald Duck sound. He has a Donald Duck thing that he does. (laughs) Easy killer. We can't push it too far. I don't know how far they want us to push it. So Paul goes up to Jerusalem, Galatians chapter 2, because he wants to see how they think about his mission. And verse 6, Galatians 2, Paul says, and the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles just as, just as, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. Are you hearing me? I've always felt like, just here's a, in case you didn't know this, we're in a Mennonite denomination. It's a, it's a little secret here. And the reason it's a secret, even though we talk about it, even though we're connected, even though I go to the events, even though we're involved in the conference, even though we support the missionaries, even though they come and they speak in our church, is because culturally, we're not that Mennonite. Which is great, which is fine. Because our calling is to be an Antioch, not a Jerusalem. 
And some of you, as soon as you hear that, they go, he's trying to say that to be a Mennonite is less valuable than to be a non-Mennonite culturally. Not at all. To be a Jerusalem and be faithful means to, means to package the gospel in indigenous Jewish forms to reach Jews. Faithful missionary activity as a Jew to Jews means to look Jewish. So when Paul goes back to Jerusalem, he has a vow, he grew his hair long, he goes into the temple, he cuts it off, he makes sure, hey, you know, Tim, he has Timothy circumcised. Timothy's like, oh, man. Because in that context, at that time, in that place, to reach those Jews, a good missionary says, I'm going to put on Jewishness. Not because Jewishness saves, but because those people matter and I want them to be saved through Jesus. But in a totally different context, when the Jewish people there start to say, those Gentiles need to become Jewish or they're not even saved. And Paul's like, man, you are cut off from Jesus the more pride you take in your Jewishness, the less valuable Jesus will be to you. I wish you'd cut the whole thing off. And you're like, that's in the Bible? Paul, relax. I will not relax. Go to hell. And you're like, oh, my word. Paul's lost it. No, he hasn't. He's on point. So now he says, not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised. These jerks, these fake Christians. And you're like, man, this guy's hot. So uh, what is it? On the one hand... To be faithful, to be Peter and be faithful means to be culturally Jewish and to reach Jews. But to be Paul and be faithful means to shed your Jewishness to reach Gentiles. Guys, we are called to be in Antioch, a missionary church. We are not making Mennonites here. We are making disciples here. Amen. Now, here's the sneaky trick they won't let you in on. We actually are making Mennonites. Shh. Shh, don't tell them. Because every time someone comes in and falls in love with Jesus and becomes a member of our church, guess what they just became? Shh, don't tell them. Don't, don't tell them. They just became Mennonites. But what happened is little by little, the definition of what a Mennonite is has expanded to include them. But our heart and, and Greenwood's heart is identical, isn't it? John David's heart and my heart is identical. This is why they bus in. They're busing in. They have a church bus. Why? That's awesome. Praise God for a church bus. I want a church bus. And they bust, in like, they bust in like 20 kids to their VBS last year. How awesome is that? Kids that don't have, whose, whose parents don't go to church. Come on. I love that stuff. So don't hear me saying when I say we're called to be in Antioch that I'm critical of our sister church Greenwood. I'm not. But we're called to something that's slightly different. All right, I'm over time. Oh, the other thing, I'm, you can pray for me about this. I talked to Tyler Warfel. We had an hour-long meeting, and I was basically asking him if I could be the chaplain for the high school at Greenwood, which would mean I would come every chapel for them, come early, pray with the speaker, be available to pray with the kids, and I want to be praying for each of the students like throughout the week, you know, just to help sow into... Because I, I know... When Kevin... Maybe I shouldn't put this online, but when Kevin Yoder was the music teacher, his passion for worship, Anthony can confirm this, his passion, Melissa can confirm this, his passion for worship yes. trickled down all over the school and it was so healthy. Yes. And since he's not in that role anymore, yes. like that has slipped somewhat. Yes. And, and so Tyler and I were talking about that and it's like, how do, we get, how, do we, how do we get that? How do we get like a revival culture back? And I was like, Tyler, it's not about just changing structural things. This is prayer issues. These are prayer issues. Right? 
See, that's a, part of, that's a part of the two worlds that I live in, where my foot's in this world and my foot's in this world. And like, so my good buddies, Dustin and Katie, you know, I, I, I did chapel up there. And then in the afternoon, I came home and we sat out and had sandwiches and gave them Bibles for the first time. You know what I mean? Like, these are the two worlds I live in. And actually, you know, it would be sweet. Some of y'all are solid enough Christians. Your kids don't even need to be at GMS. You can disciple them yourselves. But people like Dustin and Katie... Man, that's who really needs a GMS. That's a sermon for a different day, though, which is how critically important it is for us to disciple our children. So why do I want to stay connected to Greenwood School? Why do I want to stay connected to Greenwood Mennonite Church? Why do I want to stay connected to Maranatha? Why do I want to stay connected to Harvest? Why do I want to stay connected to these churches? Why? The kingdom of God. So that we have our hand connected firmly to the body of Christ, the broader body of Christ, because they want what we want. They might be called to the city they're in. They might be called to the context and culture they're in, but we're called to ours. But if we partner with them and something good happens there, you know how funny it is? We sometimes get together, we pray for revival, we pray for the lost to come in, and that morning in the Baptist church, three people church across town that we don't have any relationship with, three people come to the altar while that man preaches. And God says, I honored your prayer. And we say, where is it? I don't see it. Because we're so disconnected from the body of Christ. Because God's not like, well, there's the Mennonite church, and there's the Baptist church, and then here's the Presbyterian church. He doesn't think like that. He doesn't even see those divisions. Do you know what I'm saying? He doesn't even see those divisions. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, please, you know, send us Send us this, you know, could move, come, let your kingdom come. And then the Baptist guy preaches an extra anointed sermon that Sunday. Three people come to the altar. They get born again. I don't know why I quoted that, because they did. They get born again without quotes. And we go, why isn't it happening? We pray for the healing anointing. Oh, Lord, pour out your spirit. We want to see miracles. And the church of God has four. We have no relationship with them, so we don't even know. And I've said this for years. God will place the thing our group most needs in the part of the body of Christ we have the hardest time receiving from. Because humility is what's required to be elevated to the next level in his kingdom. In his kingdom, it's so different. You take the escalator down to the next level up. Called to be an Antioch. 